Hi, welcome to Curious Sisters. My name is Kat. My name is Nastya. Welcome back. If this is not your first time listening, this is our first season where we talk about all things Slavic. But before we start with today's topic, we have a warm-up question. Actually, I may have more than one question for you. So we'll see how this goes. I decided to switch it up a little bit. So to fill you guys in, whoever is listening for the first time, usually we ask a warm-up question to just kind of get the topic going, maybe learn something about each other. Today, I decided to pick the would-you-rather type of questions. And I tested them on Larry yesterday, and it didn't really go as smooth as I thought it would, so I have a couple of them. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see how the first one goes, and then maybe I have like two or three questions. So, Nastya, would you rather drink from a toilet or pee in a litter box? And why? <laughs> I I don't, don't know. I, I'm curious how you picked this one. Well, as I was picking it, the mock was sitting nearby. And I'm like, well, which one would you rather do? I, I definitely would not rather pee in his litter box because it would be awkward and I heard that the toilet water is pretty clean actually if you drink from like the top of it guys I do not recommend that you drink water from the toilet but if you have to <laughs> you can scoop it out from the top and I just thought it was funny and Larry was like well obviously I would rather pee in a litter box why would I drink out of a toilet he's like I just stand there I'm like well see because you're a boy, it's easier for you to be anywhere. Like, I would have to squat over the litter box for the rest of my life. I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think, like you said, drinking from the top makes a big difference. If it was from the toilet bowl, I think I would think <laughs> twice about that. Okay, well, let's try this one. So this one I picked because I think I know... With the answer for you, it instantly made me think about you. Would you rather never eat watermelon ever again or be forced to eat watermelon with every meal? That's a tough one because you would hate watermelon after a while and be like, Ugh, I have to like I have to include it in every meal. That would get annoying. You think? I think so. I mean, if you have to eat ev like every single meal, is that right? Well, maybe like a little piece. I mean, this there's no rules. You make up your own rules, like a bite. A bite <laughs> of watermelon. I just immediately made me think, I love watermelon. And I think you love watermelon too. And I'm like, there's no way Nasty is going to give up watermelon. So like one bite versus never, ever having watermelon. I'm like, this is a nightmare. I think I could give it up. Wow. Love. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> I No, honestly, I do love watermelon. I actually have watermelon in my fridge right now. And I eat, usually I eat the whole thing by myself because James is not really a huge fan. So I'll just buy a watermelon and cut it up and eat it during the week. Uh, but then I don't think I could do it every single day for every meal. I thought you were going to say, I actually have watermelon in my belly right now. <laughs> not yet. Maybe later today. Okay, well, I, I am a little bit surprised. I guess that uh, teacher says the lesson that you don't really know the person as much as you think you know them. 
I'm just thinking of all other fruits that are out there. Like I could definitely find something else that I like. And then again, there are fruits that I don't really ever buy or eat because I'm not familiar with them. I'm sure I would miss watermelon, but I think I could live without it. I would have to agree with you here. Yeah, the I always say I love variety in my diet. Like I cannot eat the same thing over and over and over again. Like if I ate it for dinner and then ate it for lunch, I'm like, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. But just mm, the thought of giving up watermelon was like, I can't give it up. Okay, well, I have <laughs> one more question. Would you like me to ask you one more? If you If you'd like to, yes. I mean, you, you prepared it. I think it's pretty funny. So would you rather have a third nipple or an extra toe? I would rather not have any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> that that could be an answer too, I guess. But if you had to pick. Probably a nipple. All right. You're also on the nipple team. That's the one I picked. <laughs> Larry was like, obviously, an extra toe. He's like, look at my ugly toes. What's what's an extra one going to do? I'm like, it's going to throw you off the balance. Like, isn't that what the toes are for? Nipple, it's like. If it's if it's next to the existing one, what's the big deal? <laughs> so you were also an extra nipple team? Yep, I'm an extra nipple team. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, it would be so annoying to get new shoes because of that extra toe. Like one fits right and then the other one completely off. And then what do you do? You just buy different sizes? One in wide, one regular? <laughs> I guess. See, I didn't even think about that. So yeah, that's an additional nuisance. Well, those were funny. Thank you for bringing these. Maybe well, there we you have it. Do this one more often. Well, if if we like it, we can uh, switch it up a little bit and do some of the would you rather questions for a couple episodes. There are no rules. Yes, so. these were fun. <laughs> um, I'm starting today's topic with a quote from. William Ewart Gladstone. He was a, a British politician. And the quote is, If you are cold, it will warm you. If you are too heated, it will cool you. If you are sad, it will cheer you. If you are excited, it will calm you. Any guesses? Oh. You think it may be? I'm stumped. Something that no. will warm you, cool you. And he is British. Central heating? <laughs> That's a good guess. <laughs> I guess if well, you know, excited, they, it will... <laughs> central, the, I think I'm looking more for like a regulating your climate climate control. Like when you're cold, <laughs> you put AC on. When, um, no, when you're cold, you put a heat on. When you're hot, you put AC on. And then some of us, I guess, get soothed by all this activity. <laughs> That's my guess. True. That's a very good guess, but we are talking about tea today. Oh, <laughs> not central a... heating at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it does talk about temperature, so I think it was a good guess. But I wanted to talk about tea because it's a huge part of Russian culture. And like most Russians, I myself love tea and I drink it every, almost every single day. I'm not sure. Oh, Do you drink oh, it? Oh, so, uh, so see, you wouldn't give up tea every day, but you would give up watermelon. <laughs> I see now. Most likely, yes. I don't drink it every day. I don't think. 
but I do drink it often enough. I feel like it's just as often as I drink coffee. I'm sure you drink more tea than coffee, right? Yes, for sure. For me, coffee is more like a treat. Like I'll get some coffee in the coffee shop. And usually my coffee is not coffee. It's mostly milk and a little bit of coffee. So <laughs> I like tea. Like a latte? For sure. Yes. But tea is unofficially a national beverage because so many people drink it in Russia. And obviously it's very helpful when it's cold out and Russia is famous for that. Um, it is also closely associated with traditional Russian culture. And we'll discuss why in, in this episode. Uh, Russian tea was traditionally taken as afternoon tea, but it has since spread as an all-day drink, especially at the end of meals, uh, usually served with dessert. But above all those things, usually having a cup of tea is a time-honored pastime, and you share it with your friends and family, and it can last many, many hours. Do you know the origins of tea? Like, where is it coming from originally, or like where the tradition of drinking it? I think it comes from, I want to say China? Yes. Aren't right. all great things come from China? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of them do, including tea. I found this legend, according to which, in 2737 BC, a very long time ago, the Chinese emperor Shen Nung was sitting beneath a tree while his servant boiled drinking water. Suddenly, some leaves from the tree blew into the water. Sheng Nung, who was an herbalist, decided to try the infusion that his servant had accidentally created, and apparently he liked it. And the tree was a Camellia sinensis, and the resultant drink was what we now call tea. Yum. I didn't know it was a tree. For some reason, I always thought tea is like a... More like a plant, not even a bush, but like a plant. So it's a tree? We need Larry. <laughs> He's a, a tree and herb <laughs> specialist. <laughs> because I didn't really look into this. And maybe it's like a small tree. Because when I'm thinking of, of a tea tree, I also think of like plantations that are not not like these huge trees, but are more like bushes. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the history of the Russian tea drinking ceremony began in 1638. So it took a while to get there. Russian Tsar Mikhail Fyodorovich, the first Tsar of the Romanov dynasty, got a special diplomatic gift from Altin Khan, ruler of Mongolia. Till that time, Russians did not know anything about tea and had had soft drinks based on honey. And at first, they were not impressed. They were like, what is this mud water you gave us? <laughs> this is weird. But eventually, they grew to like it. Um, but it was during the reign of Peter the Great that tea really gained popularity. During that time, Peter signed an agreement that allowed free trade of goods between Russia and China. And let me tell you, the trade route between China and Russia was a treacherous one. It consisted of roughly 11,000 miles over barren and mountainous terrain. And the journey to and from Moscow took over 16 months. And obviously, all, all of these factors made the cost of tea extremely high. And it quickly became a luxury available only to royalty and the very wealthy of Russia. 
But by the end of the 1700s, the tea prices had gone down somewhat and tea was making its way into Russian society. Wait a minute. So it took them 16 months to get tea from China to Moscow? That's just like a one-way trip? That's crazy. No, it says to and from. So a round uh, trip. Well, still, it's over over a year. Wow. Yes, that's a that's commitment <laughs> to trading. I'm glad it doesn't take that long these days. Right. Or nice to would have no tea to drink. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can you imagine? You would have to take the ship so many months to get here. Well, you may ask, what's a huge deal? Many other countries have had tea for a long time. Obviously, you know that the British love their tea. And there are tea traditions in Japan and China. The unique process of making tea is what distinguishes Russian tea traditions from other cultures. Mixing and layering tea to find just the right flavor is a big part of the culture. And I have to say, from personal experience, that is completely true. Because the way our parents always have always made tea, I think they've always used something as a base and then add whatever else they wanted. Some kind of witchery, some herbs, witchery, some leaves, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> so it's never just one kind of tea. At least I don't think so. Do you? I don't think so. And I feel like we need to maybe put an asterisk here because I'm sure that the way our parents made tea was somewhat inspired by still Asian tradition because like our dad grew up in Kazakhstan and I think the way the tea is made in Kazakhstan I'm just speculating here it's probably slightly different than it's made in Russia it still involves like layering and mixing different types of tea with different types of plants I guess but like the whole samovar thing, I don't know if you're going to talk about samovar mm -hmm. <laughs> here, but yes. samovar is definitely a very Russian thing. And Asian type of tea making is, is different. Again, I don't know if you're going to touch up on this, but just the process, I think, is different a little bit. I think you're right. And it's tough to say, because Russia is such a big country, there was one source that I found information um, using that source and it was saying that because of how big Russia is it spread between Europe and Asia um, it appeared in different parts of the country at different times so it's not like it was all of a sudden all over the country too so I'm sure that also the neighboring countries affected the way that the tea was made exactly yes I'm sure that impacted it and even I'm sure the way that Teas are made in different parts of Russia. They're different. Just like with a lot of things, like any type of food, even the language. Like, it's going to be impacted by the region, by yes. the people. But don't let me distract you. Go on. Yes. So, going beyond just steeping tea, Russians developed. Again, I'm not sure. Maybe it was original. Maybe it came from somewhere. I don't think there's a way to really confirm this and fact check. Um, Russians developed a way to make the product go an extra mile with Zavarka. Zavarka is a highly concentrated tea that's made by adding a bit of boiling water to loose leaf tea and just letting it steep in a small teapot. 
Properly brewed and concentrated zavarka is the key to making any tea taste so good. Today gourmet teas are served in small teapots, but long ago making tea in a samovar was the tradition and the only way to go. How would you explain? What is what is a samovar? What is a samovar? Every time we talk about samovar, I can't help but think about that video. I think I still owe you about the Obama visiting Medvedev with the in drinking tea with samovar and the boot on top. <laughs> so some <laughs> Yes. I still haven't seen that. Samovar is a big metal, I guess, pot that holds like, I don't know, at least probably a gallon of water. And the only way I can really describe it, it's like, um, it's very sciencey. I feel like it's some chemistry is involved in it. It's not as sciencey, I guess, as making bootleg alcohol, but there's some processes going on in there that it helps extract all the goodness out of the tea leaves somehow. But it's basically a big round, it looks like a big rounded belly metal container that you put tea on and possibly a boot on top. Yeah, I'm curious about the boot. I, I haven't ran into information about boots in my research, but you're completely right. Samovar is, if you translate it loosely, is a self-boiler. And it's a large urn-shaped container, like you said, made out of metal. And it has a metal pipe running through the middle and a small spout at the bottom. Usually it also has two handles on the sides. And to boil the water, the pipe used to be filled with smoldering charcoal or wood, and the container itself was filled with water. And then a small teapot with the tea concentrate, zavarka, was placed at the top of the samovar to keep it heated, and water from the samovar is used to dilute the tea when served. And the samovar has served as Russia's teapot since the mid-1700s. By 1800, it had become the centerpiece of any social gathering. Because remember, tea drinking is a very social thing in Russia. Samovars did and do vary in size. Some are very small, holding only three liters of water, which is just under one gallon. It's uh, 0.8. And there are larger samovars, like 30 liter samovars which is eight gallons of water. Eight? Did you say eight? Yes, Whoa. eight gallons. Most Russian samovars have been manufactured in Tula since 1820. Tula is a metalworking center south of Moscow. Do you want to take a guess? What was the largest samovar ever created? Well, something is telling me it's bigger than eight gallons. I just don't know how big do we want to go. 20. Much, much bigger. 20? Bigger than 20? Bigger than 20. I don't know what they did with this one. It's a monster. 100? Yes, close. They, the plant in Tula created the six foot tall, or two meter tall, samovar that held 117 gallons, or 450 liters. It was created in 1996. Was it functional? Do you know? I would assume so. And I know I didn't really look closely into this, but I know that they have a museum of some of ours there. So maybe that's where they put it. That's what I was thinking. It would be like a cool artifact to display. Yeah, or it might be just displayed kind of somewhere outdoors. I would have to look into this. But it's huge. Six foot tall. We should find a picture of it and post it yes. on Instagram. Also, 
we should find a picture. I'm thinking that I'm sure there are more than one paintings that Samovar appears in. But I remember, I don't know if you remember, our grandma, Baba Ola, had a picture in her apartment um, with this lady. There was this lady drinking tea out of a little saucer and there was a little kitty cat. Yes, I know exactly the picture you're talking about. I don't remember who it's by, but like anytime somebody says some of our, I'm like, there's this pretty lady drinking tea with her cat. I think we need to find it and represent some of our in, uh, in art, I guess. Yes, it is in a lot of paintings. Like you mentioned, Thrash and some of ours were and are made out of different metals, including copper, bronze, iron, and silver, being the most typical. Today, the factories produce electric samovars, while many are still made using the highly polished metal used for the old samovars, many modern samovars are decorated with beautiful paintings and other things. Like the handles are usually ornate, you know, it looks like a piece of art. Yes, yeah, some of them are pretty intricate. Yes, and Tula, it has become a big part of the culture as well. There is even a Russian proverb saying that you don't take a samovar to Tula. It is used in the same sense as to bring coals to Newcastle, which I didn't know apparently comes from British English. To bring what? Coals. To the castle? Like a coal mine, I guess. Mom, I never heard that. Interesting. Well, it is a British thing, so probably that's why. Uh, there were many different types of samovars as well. Large for public restaurants, small and compact for travels. So if you wanted to bring your samovar along... You could pack Portable it. Some of us. Yes. <laughs> Normal size for everyday use, then larger for special occasions, brass for regular families, silver and well-decorated for wealthy families. Wealthy families also usually had more than one. They had one for everyday use and then one for special occasions. Now I think is a good time to take a break and learn the word of the day. So I figured, what's the best word of the day, if not tea? How do you say tea in Russian? Chai. Yes, and I think this one will be easy to remember because there is chai, tea, that you can order somewhere at Starbucks. Yes, and I always wondered about that one because I don't know what that is, but it's definitely not tea. <laughs> I don't know. I know some people like it. Do you like it? Have you ever tried it? I. It always throws me off. I think it just has a lot of spices for me. It's too much flavor. Yeah, it's almost like overwhelming. Yes. And another word that I wanted to introduce um, that I think is unique to the culture as well is chayupitiya, which I guess you could translate to the process of drinking tea. Yes. Process or an act of drinking tea, yeah. So it describes the whole social thing where you get together and drink tea for a long time and eat all the sweets. So there you go. Chai and chaipitia. I also wanted to cover some etiquette tips for Russian tea traditions if you ever drink tea with Russians so you are prepared and know what to expect. 
I think I may need a refresher on this because <laughs> I don't know any of those. Do I have to stick my pinky out? I'm sure you know. When I hold the cup? Well, first of all, when you're visiting someone and they offer you a cup of tea, it's a genuine gesture of hospitality. Refusing to drink tea with the host sometimes is interpreted as disrespectful. I think it has slightly changed in the last few years. I don't think it's that terrible of a deal anymore. <laughs> but Russians are very straightforward. And if they're offering you food or drink, they see you as someone you know, they can trust and they want to get to know you better. So you can definitely count them as your friend. I can definitely say I must be a cultural thing because I always feel like I should have something for my guests whenever someone comes over. I feel like I should have either a snack or offer them some kind of a drink. If it's not tea, I'll offer like soft drinks or some seltzers or whatever. But I feel like I personally have to have something on hand. Are you the same way? Yeah, I agree. I almost um, sometimes have to stop myself. Like, I feel like for me, it may even extend to like the whole meal. Like, I feel like I need to feed everybody. Hey, you guys hungry? Anybody hungry? You want to have some food and some tea? As if like, I don't know. As if I, I assume that everybody's always hungry and thirsty and people could be like, what is she worried about? So yeah, I, I definitely feel like it's it's probably imprinted in my psyche so deeply that sometimes I don't even think about it. Yes. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, we have nothing in the fridge. What are we going to feed to the guests? <laughs> and Larry would be like, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. Yeah, we'll order some pizza or something. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's definitely a different mindset and maybe it just comes from also the way that we grew up. And I remember that our grandparents in Kazakhstan would always have a bunch of people over and whenever it was a social event it would definitely be inclusive of different food or tea or whatever so there is definitely always something going on so maybe that's that's why i also feel like maybe the the whole thing like even when you go i don't feel this as pressured on myself anymore like when you go visit somebody you're supposed to bring a snack but i think it's a part of a tradition too like mm -hmm. if you go visit somebody in russia it's not expected, but it's common that you bring, like, usually some sort of sweets with you for the tea, for the chaepitia, that yeah. is understood it's going to happen. So, yeah, like, usually when you go visit somebody, you bring, like, some cookies, cake, or something, or candy, something to eat. And also to your point about, like, having, as a tradition, like, having a meal with your tea, I remember that when, Larry still tells me, when he visited our parents in, in Russia... Mama and Papa would be like at 10 o'clock at night, let's go drink some tea. <laughs> and then next thing you know, Kalbasa comes out, um, herring in a fur coat, all the leftovers from dinner. And Larry's like, I thought we already ate dinner. I thought we were just drinking tea. And I didn't want tea, but now there's all this food. And now we're eating before bed. <laughs> so yeah, it turns into this whole like act of just hanging out and eating more food and talking. Sounds about right. But yeah, I also agree that I still, to this day, I think it's also just nice to bring something with you when you go and visit someone. I usually try and do that, even if it's just something small. And I don't always do it, but sometimes, you know, when I feel like it, I think it's just a nice gesture. Okay, you guys, last time Nasta came over to visit, she brought something small. It was a big container of borscht, then a container of salad, <laughs> 
And I'm pretty sure some cookie too, or maybe it was a different different occasion. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, that was just food I'm, I'm just... that I didn't want to leave at home. So that doesn't count. <laughs> so yeah, you, you, you definitely still have it in you. <laughs> hey, I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing out the facts. I enjoyed it. True. I'm not refusing that. And like you said, tea can be served late at night with mama and papa. But if you're at a party, it can also be served after all the shots of vodka have been drunk. Doesn't matter what you already consumed. Uh, it makes me think of like a New Year's <laughs> party where you cook all night and then you wait till midnight to eat for some reason and drink the champagne. And like an hour or two after that, you still drink tea at like 2 a.m. as a conclusion of the whole celebration. I don't know. Maybe there's some scientific explanation to this. Maybe tea is supposed to like help you digest all the overindulgence that you just did. I highly doubt that. Maeve is here for some tea. Maeve agrees. <laughs> <laughs> and biscuits. Um, and like I said, so social gatherings surrounding tea can and usually do last for hours. And you have conversations and reveal secrets and talk about a lot of things. And I can definitely tell that's true for me. Like even getting together with my girlfriends when I was still in high school or college, we would have tea pretty often and just talk a bunch. Um, it is also considered rude to serve tea without some sweet treat or in our parents' mind, apparently some sandwiches and leftover food. <laughs> How rude. You're just giving me some watery, muddy drink. No food. <laughs> but usually it is something sweet like gingerbread biscuits, waffles, cookies, chocolate candy, baranki. I don't know that a lot of people serve them still, but those are small crispy bagels that you can also find in some paintings. <laughs> that you can also break your teeth with. <laughs> That's true. They are very hard. Very crispy. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's adorable how the, the description was the crispy bagels. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think they're hard ass dried out <laughs> bread. I think maybe you, I think I read somewhere that you're supposed to actually dunk it in your tea mm -hmm. to soften it and then eat it. But I'm sure a, a few people broke their <laughs> teeth eating baranki or sushki. I always wondered what's the difference between baranki and sushki. Do you know? Uh, and bubliki. <laughs> hey, bubliki is not what you think, guys. It's not what it sounds like. Okay, I did not expect to go here. You can't. What do you mean you didn't expect to go here? If you start with Baranki, you're going to end up with Bubliki. Uh, you want, you want, you want, explain yourself. Well, in my mind, Baranki and Sushki is the same thing. I don't know the difference. I'm not a real Russian. I'm just pretending. <laughs> you're doing a good job. <laughs> Sleeper cell. I'm also thinking, why would they put it in a in a necklace? That's, that's what it <laughs> because why not? That, that that's the surprising part. Why you put it in a necklace? Guys, we'll have to post this. But some of the older Russian paintings you can see, like they will have the samovar, and then they will have a necklace of these crispy bagels, <laughs> sushki. 
That usually. Stop calling them crispy bagels. <laughs> That's not what they are. <laughs> well, how would you describe them? Besides the hard ass <laughs> bread. That's how I would describe them. Maybe we need to look into this, but I think... So, bear with me for a second. I think one of them is actually not crispy. I think one of them are soft. They start off as soft. And I think, again, I'm just theorizing here, you put them on this string to dry them out mm -hmm. and to store them. And then they become hard-ass crispy bagels. <laughs> <laughs> and then, for fun, you can <laughs> wear it as a necklace. <laughs> and break your teeth while eating them. And that. But no, I think you're right. You're supposed to soak it in your drink and then eat it. To be fair... If you want to keep your teeth. I don't think we've ever had baranki or sushki. We probably had them at some point, but it's not like we had them on a regular basis. Because no one wants to do that. We definitely had them, so I wouldn't say we never had them, but they're just not that great. Like, we had them sometimes when when everything else was gone. You're like, oh well, there's some sushki there left. There's some hard-ass dry bread that I'm gonna chew on. <laughs> anyway... People also usually serve their homemade jams with tea, which I think is my favorite part, especially the raspberry jam our parents always made. These sweets are what make Russian tea drinking so special, besides, of course, hanging out with your family and friends. During Soviet times, when sugar and sweets were scarce, tea was served with two cubes of sugar. And I also thought about it. Do you know why the sugar was cubed? Was it just like rationed? Why was it cubed? Because I've never seen it anywhere since then. Like, I know that you can still buy it in Russia, and it's literally in tiny cubes. But I don't think I've never seen it like this here. You know what? It's a good question. I'm not sure why it is cubed. Well, maybe it's measured, like it's a teaspoon of sugar. Well, it is definitely a teaspoon, so it's easier to... It. I know it existed here, because I've heard about... Some of the drugs that are done by putting them on the sugar cube, like in, I think in the 60s or 70s. Okay. People used to do it here. You would put a drop. Don't quote me. I don't know what drug. I'm not going to name it because <laughs> it's probably going to be wrong. But you put some drug on the sugar cube and then you eat it and it does all the whatever drug does. Drugs are bad, okay? It does whatever to you. But maybe it's just not as popular here. But that's a good question. I, I don't know why. They're cubes. Yeah, now I'm thinking about it, and it's kind of bizarre. I haven't seen cubed sugar in a long time. And in the past, many Russians also loved to drink tea out of glass cups. And you may find it weird that they're glass, because obviously glass gets hot. But um, it's not just the, the glass itself. It was put into special glass holder, which were made out of metal, either silver or bronze, and uh, decorated with engraved pictures and other elements till this time you you can still find them today if you're ever in Russia and taking a trip somewhere on a train and if you order some tea that's what you're gonna get it in have you ever drank out of a glass yes I definitely drank out of those train glasses and I always thought that they were exclusive to trains that they were only on the trains for the purpose of you know, the train is moving, it's shaking. It's not like one of those modern trains where it's like really smooth. So you don't spill your tea. It like holds it in place. But I didn't realize that they, they were used outside the trains too. I, well, sounds like they were. And 
these days people i don't think people use them usually tea is just served in like a nice tea set here we come to the rules to prepare good tea i wanted to cover this as our last point because i think that's something that i learned from mama and papa is how to make some good tea and which i don't do often enough here because i don't drink that much tea on my own <laughs> but the way you prepare tea is first of all you should boil the water until the first bubbles it should be soft water it's the best for good tea a teapot is heated a little bit with some hot water so boiling water put it in a teapot just a little bit and then i usually pour it out i don't know if other people do i think you well yeah that's one of the ways to prepare it you get the pot nice and warm first mm -hmm. so you pour it out well, at least, yeah, that's what I do. And then you add the loose leaf tea to the teapot, usually one teaspoon for each person plus one per teapot. It's a classical recipe. Then, of course, you add other things that you may like. I think mama would add like thyme and then other herbs or she would even bring raspberry, raspberry, raspberry leaves. leaves from our dacha. If you guys haven't listened to the episode about dacha yet, you're missing out. So yeah, add whatever you would like and then add more water and let it steep for like five minutes or so. And after that, you use that concentrate zavarka and pour a little bit into a cup and then add more bo boiling, well, add more hot water uh, according to your preference. And at least in our family, and I think in a lot of families, besides the sweets, tea was also served with slices of lemon or with milk according to your preference. Yes. Honey. And jams. Sometimes. And that's all I have for today. Now I want to go and drink some tea. I was going to say, it makes me want to drink tea. Like the tea that I usually drink here is mainly tea in the bag. So it's not properly steeped and all that stuff. Not that fancy stuff. Just some muddy water. But yeah, very, very rarely I'm... Um, yep, basically. Very rarely I make an actual tea. So nice as an avid tea drinker. Do you feel like you need to own a samovar? No, <laughs> I don't <laughs> no. think so. Okay, I was I was just uh, I was just fishing for some ideas for gifts for nice <laughs> birthday. Nice, to, don't don't get nice to samovar. I already have more teapots than I can use, so I think that's enough. <laughs> well, thank you. That was that was very informative. Um, I I learned a few things, a thing or two. Laughed pretty hard. Almost peed my pants in the litter box. <laughs> I did not expect that coming. We'll have to look into the, the difference between those. Yes, I also think we should explain boobliki. Even though it sounds like boob and lick, there's no <laughs> boob licking involved. <laughs> it's just a funny word. I, I think we're going to look into this and see what the difference is between what is it, sushki, baranki, and boobliki. To me, it's all the same thing, but I'm sure there is a difference. I'm sure there is. We'll report back to you guys. So what is our fun fact of the episode? All right. In preparing for the wow fact of the episode, I ran into this interesting fact about Eiffel Tower that I actually never knew about, even though I saw it. Did you know that Eiffel Tower gains a few centimeters in summer and loses a few centimeters in winter? What? In length. That's what I said. What? It's pretty scientific, actually. So, this article 
And it's pretty official, so it's fact-checked, guys. It's on the Eiffel Tower official website. One of the reasons the Eiffel Tower is still as dazzling as ever is because it adapts to its environment in all types of weather conditions, such as wind, cold, rain, snow, frost, heat. So like any metal, puddled iron, which is what the Eiffel Tower is made from, is sensitive to variations in temperature, and so reacts to high temperatures in summer, and low or even negative temperatures in winter. When temperature rises, the tower increases in size, which makes sense, right? We all learn in school that high temperature expands material, mm-hmm. low temperature shrinks it, but it changes by seven, 15 centimeters. So to me, it's it's pretty, it's a pretty big number. So this is a natural physical pheno- phenomenon called thermal expansion. Heat causes an increase in volume that makes the Eiffel Tower a few centimeters taller. This expansion also causes the tower to tilt slightly away from the sun. The sun only hits one of the four sides of the tower, creating an imbalance with the other three sides that remain stable. And this causes the Eiffel Tower to actually lean. Hmm. In this way, the sun's movement over the course of a clear day can cause the top of the tower to move in a more or less circular curve that also measures approximately 15 centimeters in diameter. That's cool. Now that you bring it up, it's obvious that it makes sense, but uh, you just don't think about it. And I think it's fascinating. And also, how did they measure? <laughs> that, I don't know. It, do- it does not elaborate how they measure it, but apparently it's, since it happens like throughout the course of the day, it's not even visible to to the human eye. It's so tall, it's not a huge difference. Like if you compare the height of Eiffel Tower and 15 centimeters is nothing, I'm sure. But it's still something. Well, they measured it somehow. There you go. There you have it. <laughs> a big ruler. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That was interesting. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. Hope you learned a thing or two. Leave us a review. I heard this helps to spread the great podcast to the world. And tune in the next time. Until next time. See you. Bye-bye.